0: This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level.
1: Hey, traders this is Eddie Horn from top step and this is limit up this is where we talk with traders market participants and trading psychologists to help you improve your trading we're taking a couple weeks to replay some of our favorite episodes now this week we're replaying our conversation with John Boucher a technical analyst and legend around the Chicago trading community <laughs> Well, John Boucher's financial career uh, began in 1994 as a market analyst with trading groups from the trading floor of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange and the Board of Trade. John's a chartered market technician, a member of the Market Technician Association. John is principal of Structural Logic, Inc., a commodity trading advisor. Structural Logic Incorporated in August 2000 as a financial newsletter and became a commodity trading advisor. I'd like to welcome our good friend, John Boucher. Hello, John.
0: Eddie, good to be here.
1: Well, very nice to have you here, my friend. And uh, as a uh, longtime friend of mine, at, uh, working together many, many moons ago, um, I think it uh, bringing you up here on the podcast with the knowledge that you have uh, accumulated throughout the years and, and sharing with us, giving us a lot of insight and a lot of direction and uh, fantastic education. I wanted to bring you on the podcast, and uh, we got some topics that. Uh, I want to ask you about, is that okay? You betcha. All right. Now, one thing is that we, we do have John Boucher on our broadcast here every Tuesday and uh, I'm sorry, Wednesday and Thursday. And uh, one of the topics that we do on Wednesday is called the big picture. That's something uh, looking at the markets at a distance to see uh, what the possibilities are, what the opportunities could be. And then we also have a segment called trade the signal, not the noise. Now, John, uh, you share with us each of these weekly segments with charts. Now you're very good with charts and a lot of us, have charts that we are faithful to that we watch every day some of us have too many charts some of us don't have enough um some of us are new to charts and do not how to really know how to break them down and really see what they're all about but john i wanted to ask you if you could uh for some of our traders and for some of the uh, the experienced traders and uh, for some of our newer traders give us some tips and some, uh, some insight, some information on charts.
0: So I think the big idea for the new people that are just getting into charting is to really study, do the book studying. You know, the first time I got into, I, I actually had a little bit of money in the stock market in 1987 uh, crash. And, you know, all of a sudden my portfolio was down 60, 70 percent there for a day or two. And I am like, well, what the heck just happened? So I made a commitment to myself to learn about the financial markets from a technical perspective first off. So I wanted to become a master of technical analysis.
1: Now, John, real quick, you just, you know, back then um, there was a, you know, if you wanted to pull up a chart, and actually see a market's performance, -performance, pre-performance, prior performance, I should say. Um, The thing was, you'd have to wait in line. Now, we didn't have, uh, I mean, the open outcry really didn't give us much information as far as following a chart. I know we had a lot of people outside the charts uh, doing the point and figure, um, the X's and the O's, and they would be doing this on graph paper, and uh, their broker would say, let me take a look at it, see what it looks like. But now, You know, as traders trading electronically, you know, click of the click of the mouse, uh, you know, uh, touch of the finger, we've got uh, we've got everything we need to know right in front of us. And uh, um, being a new trader, what are some of the most important things a new trader needs to do and needs to see in a chart?
0: Well, when it comes from a if you're Let's make a distinction between somebody who um, is becoming a a master of technical analysis and somebody who's trying to trade. So you have to – one who's trying to trade has to recognize that when you're looking – when you are looking to put on a trade, you have to decide – you have to make a decision mentally with yourself. How do you want to put these trades on? Do you want to be early, coincident, or late? So I really, really – I use a conjunction of all three of these when I'm trading. Um, I like to be anticipatory of a change in trend because, one, I'm very good at identifying short-term changes in trend. Number two, I'm bored, stiff, waiting to put a trade on. You know what it's like to be bored stiff, right? right. Just you, waiting to figure it out. You, you get itchy
1: and then, and then you end up putting on a trade that you didn't really want to put on. This was sort of a maybe, uh, you know, and, and the thing is you've got you've to pull back. you got to take a few steps back and say, listen, um, if my risk versus reward, if my reward is not more than my risk and um, I'm not going to put the trade on. And you also got to ask yourself questions, too, is, is why am I putting this trade on? you got an answer for that. If you don't have an answer for it, the thing is what you're doing is you're flipping a coin. You're rolling the dice.
0: So a lot of times on those anticipatory trades, I know that I'm early and I don't plan on sticking around. So I'm just going to treat them as scalp trades. And I'm not concerned about the risk-rewards. What what I am trying to do is to put a few ticks in my pocket until maybe another half an hour or an hour or two later I'm able to take a better trade a better setup, and I've already put a couple of ticks in my pocket so that when I take my uh, risk reward and I say, okay, my stop's got to be here, my entry is a function, always a function of my exit. So I always have, the markets always have an amazing ability to just go exactly to where your exit strategy is. So basically I'm always looking to enter almost right at my exit. So a lot of times you know the risk factors are a matter of 5 to 15 ticks maybe 20 ticks and, and that's about it. Um, there really isn't any reason to take on more risk in that because the market has a tendency to do these look backs before resuming in the original direction. So if you're early, you pick up a couple of scalp, scalp trades, and then you get a, a positive signal that the trend is indeed changed. Right after you get that positive signal, that's the coincident signal. You say to yourself, "This is one thing I do as a if, as a trader is okay. I get a I get a I got a change in trend. We took out a swing high, and now I can buy the pullback." A lot of times, almost you know, if the market doesn't pull back, and and it doesn't always do that, but then you miss the trades, but then I don't care. But that's when you have to ask yourself, do I want to take the coincidence signal when you break a a swing high? Do you want to enter on that trade and then have a risk to point to the previous swing low? I tend to say to myself, I would rather let the market ramp up a little bit and then come back and do that look back and where it's going to be a safer entry for me. I basically know that When it looks back, it's going to look back to the bottom of the value area or to a left shoulder. And a lot of times the left shoulder and the bottom of the value area are coincident with each other. So it's usually an ideal spot for that look back low to land. So I like to actually that's I don't tend to take the coincidence signal. I do tend to take anticipatory signals to pick up a few ticks. And then I look for the the late signal after the market's confirm that the market wants to do, start a short cover rally. Then it makes that pullback. I'm looking to buy that pullback. That's being late to the signal.
1: All right, John, now talking about scalping. All right. How about if somebody uh, trading does not like to uh, use that method and more or less uh, the set and forget? What is something on a chart that you would give that person? Uh, some advice on? Somebody that uh, trades throughout the day, not looking for the scalp, but just looking for the market to play out uh, to hit their points of interest.
0: Well, I think for them, they need a, an emotional fortitude because their risk parameters are going to be a little bit wider. And for for me, um, it, you've really got to be really for those type of people, you better be looking at risk reward scenarios of six to six to one or ten to one. So you need to be working on higher time frames when you're taking these trade signals. Okay. And you're not going to see you're not going to see six to one and ten to one risk rewards on, on a time frame less than it'd be very it's very unusual if you see those time frames uh, those type of risk rewards on a fifteen minute time frame. But certainly on a sixty or hundred and eighty minute time frame, you could certainly participate in that. But again, you know that's you know there's always risk involved in that. And I think from my own perspective and being in, this, in these markets for over twenty five years, um, I want to risk as little as possible preserve my capital as much as possible. So I've actually honed a trading style around keeping the risk factors down to a very, very small amount, because you're going to be wrong a lot of times, and you're going to have to take a little bit of, uh, you're going to have to take a few lumps along the way. Um, right. So I'd rather them to be very, very small lumps. Um. Yes,
1: I don't want to bruise too much, okay? So I'll take a few lumps.
0: Exactly. Just right. take, you know, take a couple of lumps. I think it's actually harder uh, on somebody who just wants to um, f- just say, "Okay, I got my signal, and I'm going to go in." Um, I like the idea of picking up a few ticks early, and you know, just having a couple of scalp ticks in my back pocket, and then look for that that uh, latent trade, the the one that comes after a positive signal, okay. and. get the bottom and pick up the bottom of the value area just before your exit strategy which is just below the prior swing low sometimes you'll double bottom on it sometimes you'll they'll do a false auction on you and 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 stop you out right there on there but a lot of times what I'll do is I'll just wait to make sure that the bottom of the value area is going to work Um, you know I I can anticipate that too so I can I can take that little uh, bottom of the value area take that trade see if it works and if it's not working I can see that, and a lot of times I'll I'll, I'll just if I if my bottom of value area doesn't work misses by more than a few ticks, I know it's going to be wrong. So I'll try to scratch the trade as quick as possible so I don't even get stopped out. Right, and now, then reposition low, low at a little lower. Yes. Now Go is
1: ahead. is that uh, I mean do you do you have that panic button?
0: No, it's not a panic. It's just like it's. I'm, I say to myself, the minute I put that trade on, it has to be. I, it has to be behaving exactly like it's supposed to. If it's going to bounce off a bottom of a value area, and if it doesn't, I know immediately I'm probably wrong, and they'll probably take out the prior swing low. So, yeah. I usually have enough time to be able to scratch the trade, and then. And lift my stop so that I don't even have to uh, worry about it. And then I just I know I'm I'm I know I'm still. It's, that's that's also another signal that I'm still early.
1: Right. So you, you're you're pulling that uh, eject eject if it's not looking right, which you know it 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 makes a lot of sense. A lot of traders are quick to the gun on doing that. But then a lot of traders you know that I've talked to through the years of broadcasting and just knowing a lot of people. Um, Traders, you know, and such is they like to take some heat. Now I mentioned that, too, when when I'm in a trade here on the broadcast is, uh, you know, I'll describe my trade and I'll say, you know, I took I took this much heat uh, market came back. Or I took too much heat. Um, I didn't get stopped out. I I was guilty of moving my stop. I moved my stop. I didn't think the market would go this far. I mean, that's some of the mistakes I make. And I think a lot of us uh, as traders, if you're experienced or not, that you don't want to see that. You've got that, that thing we used to call on the trading floor, hopium. Uh, you know um I hope you know is, is there a trading god no there's not he's too busy doing other things uh you know please please i'll be a very good boy for the rest of the year if this market comes my way and it didn't so um i mean there's there's just a lot of uh uh of doors to choose from and a lot of actions uh that you can take uh in a trade and uh, I just wanted to point that out one thing i want to mention john is one of our i mentioned earlier one of our uh one of our segments is called the big picture. All right. Now, this is a segment that we put together because John sees the markets. You know, you're thinking of a big picture. Usually, when I come in, uh, I'll take a look at the crude, take a look at gold, S and P's, whatever market you trade. You sort of do the Google, uh, the Google Earth thing, you know, where you start on the big planet and then you sort of start zooming in and start seeing more of a defined picture. What I do is I'll put up a, a put up a chart and I'll take a look at it. Take a look at the week chart. Take a look at the month chart. Where is this market been? What is this market doing? And then you start to get in a little closer, you get your your weekly, your daily, um, your hourly, uh, half an hour, fifteen minute. And I, I'm a comfortable trader at a fifteen minute candlestick, unless unless I'm trying to scalp or I'm really watching that market a little quicker. But uh, that's what we do with the big picture. And when I when when I knew that John uh, based a lot of his uh, his information and knowledge of looking back, sort of calling it uh, historic charting. Uh, John, tell us about how you pull up a big picture. Tell us about historic charting and how you present it to us and what it's all about.
0: So with historic charting, it's really something that I I focused in on heavily with the Dow Jones chart. I really became a a thorough student of everything related to the Dow Jones since its inception. Mm -hmm. We have trading data going back to 1901, so I'm able to look at how the market traded the rich man's panic of 1907 uh, How we traded uh, that final bull leg campaign from 1921 to 1929 How the market crashed 90 plus percent uh, from the 29 high to the 1932 low and Then I also went in and I evaluated every rate hike and every monetary policy shift from the inception of the Federal Reserve, and I overlaid that knowledge onto the Dow Jones and to see how interest rates i mean how monetary policy affected the Dow Jones instrumental in my learning some of learning about some of that was my uh, mentor, Edson Gould, who was a famous uh, market technician from the sixties and seventies. His publications are no longer really available. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is one library uh, in Virginia, Blacksburg, Virginia, that you might be able to pull a couple of uh, books from, from the archives, which is what I did to be able to uh, study Edson Gould's work. He had published a newsletter like myself through the 60s and into the 70s. Uh, and from that point forward, I began to be, I, the Dow Jones taught me so much about the market numerology of the Dow Jones is fascinating and it has really given me a, a great deal of information why certain ver- various numbers are extremely important. And they usually relate to the numbers uh, multiples and divisions in the numbers 38, 39, and 40. And to give you an example, uh, the 162 of 40 is, is 64. In 1921 – the Dow Jones took off from 64 uh, and ran it up to 384, which is 64 times 6 roughly. And now you got a multiple of 38 at 384. Well, then the market goes down, uh, down to 40 and a half. And it's almost biblical in context. You know, you're looking at 40 days and 40 nights. And, mm-hmm. Um And you have that low in 1932, in July of 1932, at 40 and a half. Now, that's 62% of 64. And, you know, so that's 384 is very close to 38 and 39 and, and close to 40. Then we had the next bull market leg up. We went from 1930, July of 1932 to January of 1973. That was exactly 40 and a half years later. And so – I found out, you know. Now we have the one-month moving average, or the twenty-one, twenty-one day, or the twenty-day moving average. That's a very important moving average. Um, so too are the the moving averages around thirty-nine and forty, and so too are num our moving averages around seventy-eight, or one seventeen, or one fifty-six. These are all multiples of thirty-eight and thirty-nine. Well, relatively thirty-nine. And if you look at the 2000 high in the Dow Jones that was 11,750 which is 39 times 4. So that Dow Jones high at thir- near 390 is a very very important number.
1: Now, John, let me ask you something. This is something you you really believe in and you've been sharing with this uh, this with us for years. Where does somebody come up with this? I mean, is this just sort of, uh, hey, take a look. This sort of matches up with this, or this looks like this. To, um, you know, we we just lost Stephen Hawking, all right, and uh, all of a sudden the coincidence. Oh my God, he died on the day that Albert Einstein was born. Oh my, I mean, what are the odds? I mean, are these are are these for? I mean, how does this how does this play out? Where's the proof in the pudding?
0: Yeah, I think that's an interesting question, and and it gets to one of the things that I would urge everybody to, to take some time out. After you've done all your book learning, all of your um, mentoring, then you have to let the market – you have to go into some sort of Zen state and be able to let the market teach you things. So you just have to be still. There's a stillness involved here to make these observations and to have these aha moments, like Stephen Hawking's dying on the day that Albert Einstein was born. Why? is That's freaky. And, you know, Einstein called these uh, would call these kind of events quantum entanglements. And he defined those yeah. as spooky actions at Re- a distance. Real
1: quick, quantum entanglements. Uh, it sounds like uh, a hairdresser in space. What's going on? What is a quantum entanglement?
0: It's for me, it's where uh, the current market behavior is. It, it's like the old previous market behavior has still has an electromagnetic field that is still affecting the markets today. So I could say that the crude oil market in 2016 to 2018 um, – its electromagnetic field is still being impacted by the electromagnetic field of the crash in the crude oil market in 2008 and the move back up into 2011. The And you, you see that every Wednesday when I'm on your broadcast, you'll see me talk about how the behavior off of the January, February 2016 double bottom mimics the December, January, and February triple bottom of two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine from a seasonal point uh, even from also measuring the magnitude of those things, that kind of stuff happens and so it 's really mm-hmm. suggesting to me the the electromagnetic field of two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine is is causing is pulling the we should be pulling the crude oil market up to the the mid-70s, roughly 75 by the end of June this year. And at that point, when we get to the summertime, into the summertime around 75 bucks, give or take a little bit, I think you you can have a larger degree correction and bring bring crude oil prices back down to 50 bucks. And we'd still be on that electromagnetic field.
1: Now, you, More, you, you, what what is this electromagnetic field? I mean, is this something like voodoo in, in trading? What? Explain this. Where's this coming from?
0: It has to be something beyond my ability to articulate, but I can tell you, I can see it happening.
1: Where where is it? Where's it coming from? Where are you seeing it? For some reason for me right now, it's telling me that's outside the trade world. What, where are you getting this? What is it uh, developing into?
0: Let me relate it by um, speaking about, let's take, Couple of more examples. Mm-hmm. Um, if we go back to the the bear market in gold from 2011 to 2016, it set a price high of 1920 in 2011, and a low at 1046 in 2016 2015. Mm-hmm. Now, the magnitude of that correction was a 46 percent correction. If you did a look back in history. To the 1974 bear market in gold, the gold bear market topped out at 191 and bottomed at 101. It was a 46% correction. And it was basically the same price levels that the 2011 and 2016 highs and lows were basically the same price levels. just. One order of magnitude higher than the 190 and a half high in 2000 in 1974, and uh, just a few ticks higher right. than the 101 low there. So, what we have here is both, in a sense, they are bio-identical, same price levels, same, same depth of correction, 46 percenters, and now we've just got to figure out when this bull market is going to continue. It's taking its time. The, the qualitative difference is that Fed policy, um, and central bank policy, has become so gradualistic that things move at a much slower pace. Right. So, let,
1: let me ask you. Um, now looking, I'm going to say looking into the future. Uh, is there a way where you can take certain historical patterns? You know, if you want to go back in time, um, and take this pattern, this is how the market reacted, moved. Would you be able to bring that forward into uh, markets that we have not yet traded into, as far as time-wise, and get an idea that hey, here's where the bear is, or here we've got a bull coming up here sh- uh, soon. Is is there any way that you can do that?
0: So what you're asking me is to do some walk forward optimization here yes. looking at looking looking at things out of sample and starting to visualize what's going to happen in the future so one of the other uh, spooky actions at a distance is, is that in 2016 the Dow Jones bull market from the election low is behaving almost Bioidentical to the 1986, the October 1986, November 1986 rally into August 97 from a price percentage. And that price percentage is telling me that the Dow Jones, there's an electromagnetic frequency from that 1987. 86 to 87 lows. These are the 86 lows and the October-November 86 lows are very aligned with the price-wise with the November 2016 lows. They were just below, both of them were uh, the the 2016 low in the Dow Jones was just below 18,000, and the 1986 October 86 87 lows were very much closely just a little bit below 1800 1790ish right. and so the final high was 2747 in August of 87 so when i do when i look at that and i look at um the recent flush that we had in the dow jones on the weekly charts right. and uh, i mean we, we're not doing any charting here but i'm looking at how the the dow jones Just had a 12% correction, and it looks like that most recent correction in February that we had aligns very well with the correction we had into March of 2000, that January 2000 to March 2000 break. And if we walk back up, if we do a 17% – now, the other thing is I'm looking at these historical charts. You can't see what I'm looking at right now. But the final rally of the Dow Jones into 2000 was 17.7%. The rally from the, sec- the secondary rally right. to the secondary high was a 17% rally. The r- final rally into the October from the March 14 low was 16% into uh, the March March 07 low into October of 07 was 16%. So if we do 16 17% from the February low – now keep in mind – the dates that I just mentioned, February of 2018 aligns well with the March 2011 low and the March 2000 and 2000 low. Right. And if we do those 16, 17 percent rallies, we would be expecting the Dow Jones to be challenging the final August 87 high by one at magnitude of order higher. It basically is targeting 27,300 to 20, 20 Twenty-five thousand. Uh, I mean, twenty-seven thousand five hundred. So I'm I'm using as a, a big fat crayola. I'm just saying if the August eighty-seven high was twenty-seven forty-seven, I'm just going to use twenty-seven thousand five hundred as my ballpark, give or take a percent or two. I'm not going to get too freaked out if I don't get the exact twenty-seven forty-seven. What but I'm looking but there's towards, an area
1: of interest. I mean, there's an area where you're like, hey, this is pretty close.
0: It's pretty close, and it's also telling me a lot about the timing. Right. So if I've got this March of 2000 to September 2000 swing, and I have a March 2007 to October swing, and I have a February low here in 2018, it's telling me to look for, some, look for that topping action to occur in the third quarter of 2018. And from there, we'll have a huge bear market underway. Okay. All right. Which- so there's a layering effect, Eddie. It's, it's like, okay, I've got to take the information from the electromagnetic field of 86, but then I have to overlay that with the electromagnetic fields of 2000s topping action and 2007s topping action. And how's that going to play out in 2018?
1: right so
0: so basically i mean
1: we're all playing um fortune tellers uh, while we're trading we're all trying to speculate where the market can be but uh with your process you're actually showing that uh it's it matches up it this is a possibility other than just saying you know just taking a guess yeah we're going to rally we're going to break we're going to rally we're going to break so it's uh, there's a, there's a base behind it
0: and I also just gave you guys an example of how I look at um, uh, the 87, 86-87 market, and that's a historical example. And it's like looking at multiple timeframes, but then I'm taking a look at that. I'm taking a look at what does this market have in, in common with 1986-87. Then I'm right. saying, and I'm overlaying it with other historical examples, and then I'm saying, how does the Feb-18 low look align with the... The final markets in 2007 and 2000, and then I've got the 2007 high working. I've got the 2000 high and the 1987 high all working and coalescing together and providing me with an area of interest, which is $27,500 for the, the, uh, for the third quarter of this year.
1: Okay. All right. Well, John, I, I appreciate it. But before you go, I, I've got some questions here, um, sort of off topic. And I, I know, John, I, I want to get you back again, because you've got uh, so you're a plethora of, of information. And you know, we love you a lot here on the broadcast. That's why we uh, we got you here twice a week. Um, but let me ask you a question here. Um, to someone just getting started trading right now. What's the best advice that you would give this person?
0: Um, master, my, when I was learning this stuff, I said, "There's no way I'm going to have anything less than perfect mastery of a topic. I mean, you really can't have room for error. So, don't know your material, 80% or 90%. Really, really own it 100%. And then that that will that will help you. That'll move you forward.
1: Okay. Now, John, we were talking about a time machine a little while ago and uh, you definitely are a fortune teller. Uh, If you could go back in time, John, and uh, tell yourself one thing as you started out, what would that be?
0: You know, I I really don't know what I would do different. Um, I think I did it the way I was supposed to do it. Uh,
1: Well, you get your job working with me on the trading floor and then uh, see that one thing though, I do have to mention that when, when, John was working with us in the Deutschmark pit. And, uh, John, you were running cards, right?
0: That's what I was supposed to be doing.
1: You were – exactly. That's what I was getting to. Uh, <laughs> you know, we uh, – get some trades done and we got to pass the cards out to uh the companies and have the orders and john was nowhere to be found so um you know we take turns trying to find it was like finding waldo where's waldo i mean (laughs) you have to find john but we found out that he um uh, utilized that time away from us in a good fashion uh and always on the computers you were always on the computers now we used to have like four or five on one end of the trading floor and there'd be a line of people. But John would uh, definitely he would be running one of the computers and biting people as they got close. So that's where John uh, progressed. And he kept progressing. And this is something that uh, he had a passion and desire for. And uh, look where we are today. So yeah, it's a great- no, you
0: actually I used to dream about the markets in my sleep. And I thought, oh, that's not a good sign. <laughs> <laughs>
1: well you, you know what i've I've had some dreams about the markets and uh, dreams about being on the trading floor and I mean those have been included, but um probably in a different sense than you, I would think now, John, let me ask you something else. Uh, we all have favorite things all right now throughout your 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 career and 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 growing into a uh fantastic educator, uh, let me ask you, what's your favorite toy? Do you got something that you're you're gonna keep until the day you close your eyes, or something that you like to see just about every day? You got a favorite toy?
0: You know, I, it's not really a toy, but I think if I don't have a, a a book in my hand at least every day, you know, to pick up and touch and read a little bit about. I think I'll have a book in my hands every, every day of my life.
1: Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I rest my case. This man is a genius. I appreciate it, Johnny. Um, now, John, before you go, where can people find you online?
0: Uh, structurallogic 3com
1: Structurallogic 3 the number three, right? Yes. All right, Structuralogic3.com. How about uh, email address? You got an email?
0: That would be jb3 at structurallogic three com.
1: John, I appreciate you coming on here. Like I said, there's we just we just tapped you slightly. A lot more information and insight from you uh, down the road. So I appreciate it, John. And uh, thank you very much. You bet. Thank you, Eddie. All right. Take care, man. Well, Hogue, you know, that was an incredible conversation. Yeah. There were two main things that I realized as John Bougerelle talked Um, first he knows what his trading plan is right he talked about it with such confidence now uh, down to whether he would anticipate a move or to be reactionary now second the the way he talked about patterns we talk about patterns a lot when we do have him on the broadcast Uh, he's observed in the market about these patterns and, and what it tends to do you can really tell that he's a student of the market. Now, Hog, what do you think about those?
2: Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, even how he talked about the risk-to-reward ratio that he looked for, and this is something that we're always talking about here as performance coaches and a top step trader, and what time frames he would look at, what time frame charts he would look at to judge those risk reward trades you know he, he mentioned that he would look for a six to one reward over risk or even a ten to one reward over risk return uh he'd look at uh you know 60 or a, a 180 minute time frame chart so the bigger bite you're trying to take out of the market the kind of longer time frame chart you're going to be looking at right yeah you and know, john Bougerell lives and dies on the charts uh,
1: yeah i call him the king of charts he can take a chart uh and dissect it uh and utilize i mean he, he really knows his charting now um so one of the things is uh, with with john Bujorel uh is his technique now we mentioned that about how he trades and how he sets things up one thing that really stands out is just him defining patterns now we do a segment on the broadcast called the big picture and uh with the fomc present and with the new fed jerome powell uh, one of the questions was i asked him is can we take a look back At Janet Yellen's first conference where she had a question-and-answer session can we look back at Ben Bernanke when he had his first question-and-answer session can we look back to Alan Greenspan and see what happened right after he had his first conversation question and answer and gave us a little picture on what to expect for today so just the way he utilizes markets utilizes uh historic patterns and historic events uh, to bring up to present day market conditions
2: uh, it works very well yeah it's uh in he's seems to be probably one of the best at uh, at, like seeking out that information he's he's such a um well a technician when it comes to that he he Mm -hmm. he has all the information he's got it pretty much steadily you know right in front of him and uh you know if you're wondering what's going to happen today fomc day look at the past look at the past once right. you know you know the date of the of the of janet yellen's first conference her first you know foray into the public as the as the fed chair then what happened that day what happened you, know, you see what happened see if it lines up with today
1: right Well, Hogue, thank you very much for joining me today. Traders, as always, thank you for spending time with us. Give us feedback on any of our interviews at limitup at topsteptrader.com. And uh, please, if you got time, go to iTunes. Leave us a review. Thank you so much. John, thanks for being with us. Always a pleasure. You have a good day. You too. And we'll get you back in here right quick. Absolutely. All right. We'll see everyone next time. I'm Eddie Horn. Take care.
2: Trade well, everyone.